Season 3, Episode 1 of the Woke-ish Podcast. This is Ebony. And this is Zalma. And we are back after <laughs> um, several months-long <laughs> hiatus. Um, we are sorry about that. It is not out of lack of love for the podcast. Um, we love y'all and thank y'all for continuing to listen. We want to welcome all of our new listeners and welcome all of our old listeners back. Thank you for... Yeah, continuing to support us. So we are going to start with our shout-out segment like usual. So our, our first shout-out goes to Zosie Beanie Tunzi, who was crowned Miss Universe 2019 this past Sunday. Um, and with this victory for the first time in U.S. history, black women hold the titles for every major beauty pageant. Um, so that's um, Miss America, um, Miss USA, Miss Teen USA, and now Miss Universe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, shout out to them. And also want to shout out our co-host. <laughs> we want to shout out my co-host, Zelma, um, who <laughs> just found out this past week that she got a job, an academic tenure track job. Okay, she <laughs> got a tenure track job at a Research One school, um, which I know we have some PhD students listening, so you know how big a deal that is for those of y'all that don't. Just know that it is a huge deal. Yeah, um, it's it, like the they they have different levels for the amount of like expectation, money, um, yeah. and uh, I mean, okay, so just also know that I, I feel like it should it should go without saying that when you're in a PhD program, right? You you have essentially earned the highest degree that there is to earn Mm -hmm. um and so that is an accomplishment in and of itself right but then also we have academic jobs that are super duper competitive so these jobs i mean i guess sort of sort of like other jobs but because they're so much more competitive i think it they're so much more competitive and they are it's the top one percent of educated people in the country that are competing for these positions Mm -hmm. so they get hundreds hundreds and some of the more prestigious ones probably get thousands i don't even know um of applicants and then they whittle it down to one so out of hundreds of people that were competing for a job in research one university Mm -hmm. um zelma was selected yes 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 yeah so it's it's a really big school it's um and it's hispanic serving yeah Yeah. and uh it's in the in a i'm really happy where with the 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 faculty there and the demographic of the student population and so um i'm really excited so i will be so we're going to talk more about that in our what's being slept on where ebony and i kind of discuss what we've been working on the past couple of months and why we've been kind of taking this hiatus Mm -hmm. but yeah thank you so much i'm really excited so for those of you who have been following our journey you will know that this is something that i've been working up towards for the past year and a half and so it's nice to 
to be able to have that. And I know that, it, you know, there's lots of really talented people that don't get jobs um, the first time around or, you know, decide not to pursue or academic jobs. Yeah, yeah. It's super <laughs> like competitive yeah. and it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't say anything about, um, you know, just because I got the job doesn't mean that the other people who didn't weren't qualified, but it's really, really nice to get the job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you have um, w supported us and waited while we, you know, reemerged from the trenches and Zelma has reemerged with a job. So yeah, yeah. For, like, so that, that's what we've been yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we weren't just gone BSing or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and so it's that time of year again. All, uh, towards the end of each semester, we like shouting out the grads. So uh, I remember I graduated in a December, and I know sometimes um, for undergrad, and I know sometimes we're forgotten because people focus on the spring graduates. So we wanted to shout out all the December graduates. Um, congratulations. Um, it's you know a huge accomplishment. Go out and celebrate. And for everyone else that's finishing up finals, you know, um, just you're almost there, you're almost making it. But once again, shout out to our December grads of 2019. Okay, so now moving on to our In the Know segment. Okay, so now for our In the Know segment. Yes, and so while we've been gone, there's been a lot, a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, low-key, have you seen stuff that you're like, oh, I wish we were recording so we could talk about well, it? Well, all the impeachment stuff, I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh. So we're going to have a whole separate um, Probably episode. episode on yeah. to catch up and to summarize the impeachment stuff. But mm. today we're just going to go on a couple of things that um, are just of, of interest to us personally, but also um, we feel like important um, so the first is, you guys have probably heard about this, but if you haven't, Gabrielle Union accuses Americans Got, America's Got Talent, um, which is a, a TV show, um, following her controversial departure from the show. Mm -hmm. So um, it, the um, article came out that said that Gabrielle Union was not going to, as her and another judge, Julianne, I forgot how to pronounce it, huh or Hugh? Huh? Yeah, I think huh. Um, were not asked um, to come back next season. And so the report by Variety claimed that while working on the show, Gabrielle Union had expressed concerns over racially insensitive situations during her time as a judge, including a joke um, guest judge Jay Leno allegedly made that was later edited out of the episode. Apparently there was a picture of like dogs and he made some reference about Asians, Americans, um, because there's this stereotype that there are certain types of Asians that eat dogs, I guess. Um, and so she was, and she said that um, uh, there was like staff who were Asian and she felt like it was insensitive and offensive. And so she said something about it and um, apparently it never aired. Um, but there was also claims that she says that they told her her hairstyles were quote unquote too black for their viewers. Um, that she was, I guess, changing them too often, and that they were I mean, somehow which we do, and that they cute. were somehow too black. Um, so SAG-AFTRA, which stands for the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, is investigating her claims. Um, NBC, which broadcasts America's Got Talent, and producers Fremantle and Psycho, 
Sicko, run by Simon Cowell. Um, if you know him, he's like the notorious mean judge from American from American Idol, but is now on other TV shows, including this one. Um, they released a joint statement saying that, quote, we remain committed to ensuring a respectful workplace for all employees and taking very seriously any questions about workplace culture. We are working with Miss Union through her representatives to hear more about her concerns, following which she will take whatever next steps may be appropriate. I call bullshit. Yeah, and they only released this statement after a bunch of people on Twitter, a bunch of and uh, actors and celebrities, and came to her defense because they were making it seem like she was making this up. Like they were staying very, they were staying silent about it, and um, uh, people coming to Union's defense were like, "There's never been a negative story about how she's hard to work with, about how she makes stuff up, about how she just um, is unprofessional. She's been in the business for decades, so um, if she has a complaint about something, it's um, you know valid." And there's uh, Deborah Messing who plays Grace from Will and Grace, who her show is on NBC kind of tweeted out that like she wasn't surprised um, mm. so there's been celebrities having her back and her husband has her back and you know a lot of people on social media have her back but she did get a lot of um, I guess negative attention from other media outlets to kind of you know when people claim when people make claims about racial and about racially insensitive subjects or situations a lot of people are quick to point that they're you know the people are just hypersensitive or that they're being exaggerated and that's kind of what they were trying to to point to her and kind of like sweep it under the table like oh well she's just not coming back instead of the story of oh well she is not coming back because she's standing up for um, what she thought was wrong, which is, you know, not only racially insensitive jokes that are being made, but also kind of trying to, I'm, it's not like whitewash, but tone I mean, down, yeah, yeah tone down her blackness, yeah. um, whatever that means. Or because, it's like, how about she's an adult and she can wear her hair the like whichever way she crazy. wants. Like, so, I mean, I think that this instance is just a, yet another one where black women's issues are well i guess i'll say black people generally and black women in particular are silenced or dismissed or their concerns are minimized in favor of more dominant you know concerns or interests and so she it's okay for her or for you know the asian staff to be made to feel uncomfortable Mm. but it's not okay for her to bring up race and make white people feel uncomfortable you know, and so it's white, ultimately it's white people's values who are, values and concerns who are being elevated over hers. And I mean, the other people of color that might have been affected by these issues. And so this is not, and then this, like, this little blurb about, like, you know, the how important diversity is to them is just like one of those blurbs that everybody, like all companies or corporations get from HR and they're like, oh, help us to say something about how we are inclusive and we care about all people equally when obviously that is not the case because why do you care how she wears her hair? And if somebody, if there's a racially insensitive joke, which is not... You know that that's not necessarily a um, an, an expected feature from 
of this like uh, of this network of NBC like it's not like they have like really racy comedy you yeah. know on the network like I could see if it were like I don't know Adult Swim, Comedy Central, Comedy kind Central, of yeah, yeah like kind HBO. of sort of thing, yeah. yeah. And it's like okay, then maybe you don't have to ble- you don't have to edit out those sorts of things. You don't have to be careful because the idea that y- things could be offensive. offensive is kind of built into the network. That's not the case for NBC. So I think, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And I mean, again, it's just another instance where like the concerns of black women are just swept under the rug and 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 minimized. Yeah, and she said that her, that Julianne had been, although, so first she said that she also had received notes about her appearance, and that the women, um, the women, the female judges, or the judges who are women, were kind of being more criticized about their physical appearance than the men, so she was saying, like, in addition to all this racial insensitivity, there's also Mm -hmm. sexism. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Julianne, like, released a statement that said that she's very happy working with Americans, uh, that she had a very, she's happy work with, she's happy, um, she had a great time there, she wants to continue her relationship with NBC, just kind of backpedaling, being like, distancing herself and being like, no, 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 like, I'm not. From, yeah, from Gabby? That could have been a moment of solidarity that turned into, like, and I think that's also one of the added things that made um, Gabrielle just kind of feel, because I, I got to think, like, as a person, she's got to feel, you know, um, I guess, like, sad and disappointed that, like, even her coworker that had experienced similar things was kind of saying, like, no, like, I don't know what you're talking about. This isn't That's bad. That's the importance of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, that. this is quintessential, like, why we need intersectionality. Because clearly, it's the... It's the it's the dual effect of like race and racism and sexism yeah. that together are affecting Gabrielle Union, where yeah. this other woman can just dismiss the sexism yeah. or I guess overlook look past it or something mm-hmm. like that. Which I mean, in the era of like the Me Too movement and all of that, and whatever wave of feminism we're in, seems kind of ridiculous and not like something she would have to do in the first place but for whatever reason seems like she's going out of her way to do it yeah she wants to keep a job (laughs) yeah it's like the thirst yeah and our second story is um is something i wanted to talk about just because i know that there are lots of people that i know and so there might be people that are listening that know people who are in need of medical insurance so the deadline is approaching to enroll in the healthcare marketplace for those of you who aren't aware, um, the marketplace is a place that initially was started um, with the Obama administration, in which insurance companies allowed individuals to purchase individual plans who did not have insurance through their employers. Uh, for example, if you're self-employed or if you lost a job. Um, and so my mom actually, so her husband lost his job recently, so they are both right now without insurance. So um, I was going online, and it's changed so much because when it first started with uh, President Obama, I, you know, used the marketplace, and it was expensive, but it wasn't crazy um, in terms of the deductibles and the benefits. But now looking at it this week for my mom, it's crazy. So the enrollment period, which allows you to use the marketplace, um, ends December 15th. So you have to go online to healthcare.gov to start an application by the 15th, which is in about a week. Um, 
you're eligible for the marketplace if you do not get insurance through your employer um, so that means if you work for a place that um, I think if there's a if there's less than a certain number of people the employer doesn't have to get insurance for each employee mm -hmm. um, if you are self-employed or if your spouse or you don't have lost your job um, it lets you compare plans and prices in your state for participating insurance providers. You just need to disclose your household income. However, with the Trump administration, because they weren't able to just to get rid of it, um, what they've done is they've just made it easier for insurance companies to opt out of the marketplace or lowered the standards of the types of plans. So for example, you know, my mom's husband lost his job, so I, I put in their income right now, which is, you know, nothing. Um, and instantly I, they got a little note that said that they um, make too little to qualify for the tax like exemption. So you would get, what would happen is the government would pay part of your monthly premium to help you out. So like every month uh, you'd get like 100 or $200 off because the government was paying for that with the idea that you're paying it with your taxes in the upcoming year. So they got a note that said because they make too little, they didn't qualify for that. So they have to pay the full price. Mm. So you're telling people with no money that they don't get you know that they are gonna have to pay full price for insurance sounds about American yeah and so running everything they told you know I, it, it was like okay th these are your options it was a thousand dollars a month to get a thirteen thousand dollar deductible so what that means is that my mom would have to pay thirteen thousand dollars before her insurance would start kicking in and it's it covers it's annual right yeah <laughs> yeah so basically one month she would have to pay I mean, this is if she gets sick or, God forbid, knock on wood, um, if something were to happen in December, you yeah. know, then maybe in one month she would pay, or two months she would pay 1500 or something mm -hmm. like that. Because, thir I mean, what? It's $1,000 for a $13,000 yeah. deductible. So $1,000 a month with a couple months paying a little bit more than that. Yeah. But, I mean, if you, if, God forbid, something happens in February, yeah, you got to pay $13,000. I mean, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, it's, I just don't know anyone, even with a stable job who could pay a thousand dollars a month for insurance. And then they require it. They have the nerve to require it. Yeah. You, That's you'd crazy. get penalized. So I started, you know, at the marketplace, I just, you know, this, that's where I am right now trying to figure out how I can get insurance for my mom. And so some insurance, some private insurance companies like Cigna or Aetna or United Healthcare allow you to buy individual plans through them. It's kind of through like a secondary marketplace. It's not the official marketplace, but something very similar. So I found a $400 plan with a $6,000 deductible, which is better, mm -hmm. but there's like six doctors she can go to and like three hospitals that are hospitals I have never heard of. Mm -hmm. So she can only go there like to get her services. So it was just kind of disappointing to see how bad and to be like, oh, Trump didn't even have to disband, you know, ACA, the Affordable Care Act. He just had to make make all these make it so that it's useless. So, I mean, I do want to put out there though, like maybe you'll be, you know, this is because my mom is older. 
she, she's unemployed right now. But if you're, you know, middle-aged, if you're younger in your 20s, if you have some sort of employment and you qualify for this tax exemption or help, you know, maybe this might be beneficial. But this just highlighted for me that there are certain groups, vulnerable people that are left with the option of, at this point, my mom cannot afford to have health insurance. Um, and then she would get penalized for not being able to afford health insurance. And the government is telling her, you're too poor for us to help you. So that was, it was like really, and it was super complicated to figure out. And I'm getting a PhD and I could, I had to like look up definitions and words and I just can't imagine my mom being able to navigate this system. So I understand why they have people whose jobs are to help you find a health insurance plan. I don't know if you're one of those people that have been getting like nonstop calls about, do you wish to enroll in health insurance? Yeah, I get, Yeah, I, I ignore all of them. And now I understand like, oh, that's, you can make a whole job out of this because it's so hard to figure out. Yeah. But like you're probably, taxes. yeah, you're probably gonna be, we'd be paying a couple hundred dollars, like more than a car note for your health insurance. So, but I wanted to put that out there, one, to kind of highlight that um, the medical, the healthcare system in this country is very, it's, it, it is not set up to help people. Like and all it, of our systems. Yeah, and especially since the last time I used it almost like 10 years ago, it's just gotten, oh, I don't know, actually I don't know how long this the ACA is, but the, since the last time I used it, it's just gotten worse. So Yeah, actually it's been about 10 years. Yeah, so you know, the deadline ends December 15th. There's no harm in checking it out to see, but just be cautious and aware that if you're um, you know, helping someone or looking for something yourself, it's not gonna be something that it's just gonna be really costly, so yeah. And then our final topic is, you might have heard by now, but it's Kamala, right? Kamala. Kamala. Kamala Harris dropped out of the 2020 presidential race. Um, a recent article came out exposing the rift with her within her campaign. Apparently, she had uh, split her campaign into like an East Coast and a West Coast, with the head office being in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. One part of the West Coast office was run by her former, her campaign manager for her Senate election. And then the East Coast was run by her sister. And so apparently the, the, those, the two, you know, the two in charge were butting heads all the time. And there was talk that her sister was just kind of making all these decisions and people weren't didn't feel comfortable challenging her because she was her sister mm -hmm. and there's a lot of talk about money not being used um, efficiently that they were running out of money that the strategy that it was very unorganized that she didn't know what a lot of her policies were going to be until it you know she just kind of made them up as she went along rather than having policies that she you know, came into the campaign with. Um, and so when she started plummeting in the polls, she just couldn't seem to get back up. And she recently, <laughs> and, yeah, she, she recently uh, announced that she's dropping out. And a, a lot of people argue that she did this now, 
because if she waited any further, she could have even lost, you know, made it difficult to regain, to keep her Senate seat in California. Mm. So the biggest thing that I read was people were saying she was trying to run this campaign as if it was a California election. Mm. And in California, you have a different group of people where people are more open to certain types of policies and um, nationwide you have to appeal to a broader base and she was just not I guess and then a lot of people are crying like this is you know what happens when you're a black woman like you get the sexism and you get the racism so people just weren't so I don't know I I don't know how to feel about it I feel like she there's a lot of issues with her that I had yeah as a person yeah I mean black people had tons of issues with her and I think like you know I mean it's it's because ultimately the standards for um and I mean granted like people might say that black people should like black people themselves might say that they should be open to having like for instance she's she would be the first black woman president Mm -hmm. if she were elected right Mm -hmm. so that should be the goal representation should be the goal at whatever expense you know so her like uh prosecution history was like the big thing that like black people were not like it's like oh are you even are you even in support of us truly because that was i think this doesn't come this is not me but Mm -hmm. i know that black people in general um were very dissatisfied with obama and specifically what he did or did not do for um, black people in particular black americans in particular so they felt that okay we are valuing your race over everything else we want you to be the first black man president. Now, granted, Obama was Obama. Like, he, you know, didn't really have any blemishes, like, yeah. um, on his track record. So the rest of the country uh, fell in love with him, too. But for Kamala, because of, I think, Barack's legacy, you know, people were a lot more critical of her because it's like, okay, are we going to elect another black president who's going to come in and not have our best interest at mm-hmm. heart? Um, and which they which I guess generally the community felt was evidenced by her prosecution history. Prosecutorial history? Prosecutorial history? I don't know. That word's too complicated. But yeah. Um, So I don't know. I wouldn't call that sexism or racism. I mean, maybe from... I don't know what other groups were saying about her. I only heard... I I only really... um, heard her discussed and I mean I really only consume black media for the most mm. part so that's where I kind of heard her discussed most and that those were the critiques that I was hearing so from like radio stations podcasts and things like that it was like oh we're uncertain about her you know but I think that if I think that if she had made it past like through the primaries they would have flipped a switch and voted for her like they would have for sure voted for her over a a different candidate if it came down to it you know what i'm saying like if push came to shove yeah um but yeah i think there was a lot of suspicion and like pessimism as far as she was concerned and it's just gonna get dirtier it's just gonna get harder like it's it's now to the point where the closer you get to the primaries to choosing a nominee the more they're going to dig up your history, the more they're going to just, like, full-on attack. Mm-hmm. So a part of me is, like, if she, if her campaign was this disorganized, as they say, or, and from seeing her, it did kind of seem like, I I don't know what her central thing was. Yeah. I, I couldn't pinpoint other than, you know, saying 
I don't even know, you couldn't even say criminal justice reform because it, it contradicts what she did. Yeah. And she was all flip-floppy on that, too. Yeah, though. and that was part of it. They, they just said that her strategy was to distance herself one day, and then she would, um, like, she just wasn't cons- consistent. Yeah. And after reading that article, I was kind of like, yeah, like, that kind of puts the finger on. There's, you know, like Elizabeth Warren has the whole like student loan and Bernie Sanders has the whole like, you know, we're going health care yeah. and it's just like, what was hers? Come on, you know, what are you? Yeah. yeah, I just couldn't, she had so many different things. She should have had one thing that, um, that might have helped. But yeah. yeah, so well, definitely ongoing story because, you know, we really want to be informed. So as it gets closer and closer to 20, election November 2020, we'll be following, we'll have certain episodes, you know, just in just focusing on different candidates that you can kind of get a rundown of uh, what we think and you can be, you know, where you can get information on them. But yeah, she's one less person. So <laughs> I mean, there's so many at this point, you're just kind of like, it's helpful. Yeah. To narrow, they're narrowing it down for me. Yeah, I really think, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, who are you, like, thinking that, not necessarily that you'd vote for, but at this point, like, who seems like the strongest candidate? At this point, I'm between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, unfortunately. Yeah. I think Elizabeth Warren, it bothers me that she counts herself as, or where did she get? Harvard? They count her as the first Native American um, professor that they hired, but she did go to a school that I went to. Yeah, and there are parts of her. There's a lot of about her that I like. But she's very well-meaning. Yes, I don't think she was like. But I I don't know if I don't know if I uh, ever told you this story, but there was a so I was in a undergrad like research. I won't name it, but I was in an undergraduate research program. And um, it was for, uh, like, underrepresented and disadvantaged students. Mm. Um, And to basically train us to get PhD, like, to get into PhD programs, right? And there were all students of color. So, black, um, first-gen people, Mm. um, Latino, um, some, like, Middle Eastern, things like that. And then there was a woman, a white woman, well, phenotypically white, Mm -hmm. who said that she found out that she had Native American blood, essentially. Mm. That was, those were her words, Native American blood. Mm. And this was before, like, the whole, like, the big boom, yeah, genealogy boom, like, over the last five years. Like, this was in 2010, you know, maybe 2000, yeah, 2010. And so I was just, I mean, but granted, I used to, I mean, this is not a very good metric, but I look at looking at her hair, like she looked like her, she didn't have like stereotypical like white hair, you know, like her hair was even a, she was, um, I guess in one way that she was um, a non-traditional student was that she was older. So okay. she, yeah, so she had had, she got married, had kids, and then went back to school. So she was, like, in her 60s. Oh. Yeah. And we were all, oh, okay. you know, 19, 20 or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was, and so she, but she had this, like, really bright red hair that was super thick and super long. Like, she was basically all hair. And I was like, hmm, 
I wonder if that's what it is that she's drawing on. Because I just did, I was like, okay, like, like she was saying it was a, like, you know, like six or seven greats grandmother. Yes. And they can One person. Hmm. I mean. I mean, because it's not like, it's not like, I mean, maybe by the government, like, she wouldn't have gotten, you know, a card or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But by the research program standards, she met the criteria. I, mm, that's I, interesting. Yeah, I've always felt a way about that. Yeah. Not just well, her, but... Well, that's you know, how I feel about Elizabeth Warren, is yeah. I just... That part of her claiming that, and then being like, oh, well, look at my DNA. It's like, no, that's, that's they, worse. The university should not have done that, though. That's worse. The university <laughs> shouldn't have done that. Because it's, you know, that... I mean, ultimately, it's like, regardless of what, what she claims for her racial identity... The university should not benefit from that claim at the expense of people who, say, grew up on a reservation Mm -hmm. or grew up with that as a central defining identity, you know, and came from generations of, like, oppression and disadvantage and all of that. Yeah, or discriminated against because of Like, she is not. she's not discriminated against. She's not at all. But one thing that I like about her, I mean, there are a few things, but she also proposed to her husband. Oh, I didn't know that. Back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I, that's why it's like Bernie or her, because other than that, and everyone has something. Mm-hmm. There isn't one candidate. And even Obama, there's mm-hmm. things about him that yeah, it, it, hard pills to swallow that he did that I don't yeah. agree with. So that's mine's with her. I love Bernie. But His interaction with kids back in the day was a little strange <laughs> yeah, to me. I'm like burning. He okay. always seems like. like are you gonna be 60. kissing babies? Or are you gonna be cussing them out? Like I need to know. <laughs> I swear he was born sixty. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was. Okay. Yeah. So those are our uh, in the know stories, and now for our what's being slept on segment. So I strongly suggest that you wake the fuck up. <laughs> Now for our What's Being Slept On segment. So as we talked about earlier in this episode, we kind of wanted to do a catch-up episode Mm -hmm. where Ebony and I talk about what we've been doing the last couple of months while we were on this break. So you can kind of get a sense of just things that we did outside of this podcast, but also I think that both Ebony and I learned a lot about what we were both doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just want to take this time to kind of briefly talk about what we did what we learned and that that way you can kind of follow along our our lives and our journeys but also you know always wanting to to give back and share with you guys anything anytime that we learn something that might be helpful because i know what i've been through everyone has to go through which is looking for a job Mm -hmm. so um, although mine is particular to academia there are things about the process that are similar across you know different types of jobs so yeah. um did you want to start or do you want me to start um well I think I think we'll probably talk a lot about your experience and I'll probably have a lot to say mine is kind of just like bullets you know it's so funny it's like so this is just just an anecdotal like whatever so one of the things that I have done is get a teaching certificate, right? And so the instructor of the course was saying, uh, she we had like a class meeting and she was saying that, 
you know, when you're going out on the market and they ask you, you know, how you're going to balance, um, you go out on the market and you apply for an academic job, they're going to ask you how you're going to balance all these different components of the job, you know, like teaching, research, whatever, whatever. And she was like, well, you just let them know that you got a teaching certificate while also doing your graduate work. And I was like, like, I'm thinking, like, wait, is that a big deal? Like, she, honestly, like, she was saying it, like, oh, my, like, this is just going to hold so much weight, right? And I, I mean, I, I feel like I just rarely ever sit still. Rarely mm. ever, you know? And so all of my friends are always like, why are you all, like, what, how are you doing all of these things? And honestly, if it weren't for those things, I would probably be nuts, if I was just doing school like mm. I don't think like I don't my brain doesn't work that way but yeah I, I just thought that that was like so dramatic mm. because people I mean you had a bait like people do <laughs> you know like people do things in grad school that's not like this does not have to have a hundred percent of your focus and I don't think that it should but okay so what I've been up to over the past few months is I have really just been grinding out with my writing and I I think that it you know I went through a series of like identity crises and I guess I do often or at least have over the past few years and especially after I said for the first time out loud that like oh I don't want to be a professor. I mean I had been saying it like to my family and stuff but when I said it the first time out loud to like people in the program it you know there were all the because like I I mean, I drank, I drank the Kool-Aid. Like, I've been, you know, it, it's really hard not to be indoctrinated. Like, I, I, yeah, even as hard as I fought against it. So I went through another identity crisis where I was, I just had to really nail down, like, if this is what you say you want to do, you can't not be doing it. Like, you can't just say, like, you want to be a writer and then have nothing written. Mm. Okay, so earlier this year, I started out writing a novel, um, which a couple weeks ago I finished. It's not published. It's being edited right now. So that it's, it's like a fiction, um, a fiction novel. So it'll be my first like published, you know, like full length book. And I mean, so that's like the stuff that I enjoy <laughs> doing. I Is it like professionally edited? Is it being? Uh-huh. By a grad student. So oh, I guess that's okay. professional. Wow. Are you paying them? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I had to. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I wish. I mean, if anybody out there is listening and wants to do, like, (laughs) volunteer editing, I mean, hit me up. (laughs) Like, I will have things in the future because editing is not, it's not a cheap service. Mm. Yeah. And then I I had a networking event, which I, it was my first event that I'd ever hosted. And it was focused on creatives and helping to develop the creative community or to I guess foster the creative community and helping creatives to establish effective collaborations and so I I actually got a through that process found a writing partner so we have started working on a couple scripts which I'm so excited about and we are our first project is going to be a short film that should come out at the latest, the end of next February. And so we'll be promoting that. I, um, so yeah, so those are my like, oh, I also started a blog and I'll probably share a Mm. link to it um, on the, on our Instagram page for the podcast. Yeah, I'll do that soon. So that's the stuff that I liked. Um, On the other side of things that I didn't like that weren't so fun is that I wrote a couple 
academic articles mm. for my dissertation and sent those out for publication. I have another one that I'm collaborating with my advisor on that hopefully will come out sometime in the future. And what else? Yeah, I guess I finished my teaching certificate, which I'd been working on mm. for a couple of years, so I'm happy about that. Uh, yeah, finished and a chapter of my dissertation. Planning. Oh yeah, wedding planning. <laughs> I mean, that's a location. not fun either, though. Yeah, so that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, so I got a, a location and a date for my wedding. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, I, I was, I, I've been really like toying with this and I haven't fully decided what I'm going to do, whether or not, because I'm considering like just biting the bullet and being like, oh, I'm going to be done this year. And then I could focus, mm. I could focus on like wedding planning. Yeah, I could focus on wedding planning. We could have a good honeymoon and all of that. But at the same time, I don't know how I would make that happen with my advisor. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that would make wedding planning more fun because it's like, yeah, I'm wedding planning, but I'm also writing a dissertation. Yeah. You know, it's just, I was comping and that was, yeah, it, it makes it, it's, it's like a, a, cloud. a task. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, it becomes a task. Yeah. Although do people enjoy wedding planning? I, I thought it was supposed to be fun. That's what people said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't. Mm -hmm. I had thought my whole life that like, oh my god, this is gonna be so fun. It's such a beautiful process. Being engaged, <laughs> being engaged is so fun. Like, you know, soak it up. There are all these like perks and stuff. Where are the perks? Where are the perks? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'm forgetting anything, but if I am, I will mention it later. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing over the past. How long has it been? I think two months. Two Wait. months. Three? Three months. Yeah, yeah three months. that's what I've been doing over the last three months. Okay. Yeah, yeah. which is a lot. I can't sit still. I need to. I think I'm probably starting in January. Well, once we finish this short, I'm going to buckle down and just put on, like, have tunnel vision and finish my dissertation. Yeah, that's, what that's I'm my goal. Do too. Yeah. Well, according to your friend, we can finish it. A dissertation can be finished in, what was it? Two months? Yeah. Two months. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just writing. And yeah. Yeah. Once you get to the writing. I've definitely part, written you know. like thir a 30-page paper in a, a couple of days. So. Yeah. It can be That's done. true. That's true. I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, catch us up on your life. Yeah. So, I was... Uh, applying for jobs so for academic jobs you apply the year before um, you intend to start so I was applying for jobs that were starting next August mm -hmm. although some of them wanted you to start as early as July oh really mm -hmm. so wait to do what teach summer school I don't know but they said some of them said start day of July oh that's yeah it isn't yeah I don't know why so that consisted of doing a lot of applications so I guess thankfully now it's all online mm -hmm. so um, you can you submit your cover letter which you basically are just saying I'm applying to this job that you have posted this is what I do this is why I want to work for your school and your department this is why I would be a good fit mm -hmm. then you submit a research statement which is like five to six pages of you basically are summarizing your career. So you talk about, in a way that's cohesive. So you talk about 
um, all the works that you've published, data sets you've worked with, training that you've gotten, conclude that with what you're planning on doing for the next five years. Mm -hmm. um, so not only you know, are you applying for jobs, but you're thinking ahead of what projects would I do. Then you also submit a teaching statement, which is usually they ask just to be one page. So it's one page of you know what your mission is, what your teaching philosophy is, um, how what types of styles you intend to use, um, what how will you use that in your classroom. Usually, like provide one example of an activity that you would do for a class that you would teach and some schools require a diversity statement which is um, talking about how you're, you, you will make a inclusive and safe space in your classroom, how you've done that in the past, how you intend to do that at that school, and why you think diversity and inclusion is important. Um, and then letters of rec, so you know, be, being on top of that, which I, I found to be more one of the most difficult things because you can just up, you know, once you do the first application, you're literally just copying and pasting and editing. So once it, it, it took a long time to do the first draft of something, but once I submitted the first application, it was just easier to submit and just change the last paragraph to, well, this is what I would, you know, teach at Georgia, teach in Louisiana, teach in Arkansas or wherever. And um, then for the letters of rec, some of them, you know, you uh, have to, you don't send them in until they request them from you if you get, you know, further down the process. And some of them, they ask that you submit. So you, you know, send a link to the three people that mm. um, you want them. So and it's, then it's a lot of waiting. And I think the difficult thing is they're not all on the same timeline. So some schools, even if they have the same due date, you know, the earliest due dates were like August 30th. And then the most recent, the last one that I turned in was like uh, end of October. Mm -hmm. So, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Wait, so, so was that the... Yeah, that's the one I got. Okay, okay. The one that I got the job for was an October 15th date. Mm -hmm. Um, which was one of the later dates because yeah. by then a lot of schools had already been contacting you so typically what they do is which I've learned is so you're uploading your application materials to, materials to you know um, interweb system and so they developed some of these schools develop like these programs where they have an algorithm that kind of scans your work for keywords and so I'm um, reading you know I've there's a for my for my specific discipline there's like a job rumors board and I've learned every discipline has one mm -hmm. and so people who are on the search committees which a search committee is the committee that is deciding ultimately who they hire in mm -hmm. each department so people from the search committees go on these boards and kind of give you updates um, because they did that as students and so that so now if I'm a, on the search committee I will go to this board and update people um, so they were just kind of saying, you know, first we kick out anyone who is international. Then, yeah, then we kick out people who 
don't have the qualifications. So apparently people without PhDs apply for these jobs. <laughs> really? <laughs> or sometimes they said someone with the ED, oh, it's like okay. a PhD in education. Oh, I thought you were just saying like... No, no, like, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so those get kicked out. Then people who just don't have any... Like if they're like, we need a health person and you don't have health at all, then they kick you out. And then apparently they, you know, they screen out by schools. Mm. So they'll screen out certain schools. Um, yeah, some schools do this. This is what was on the board. And then sometimes they screen out if your uh, adjunct or lecture mm. is on your CV. Mm. So um, if you get past the screening, um, some schools have phone interviews, Skype interviews. But ultimately, there's like a long short list, which is a list of 20 people. And those 20 people are contacted for letters of references. So I made a long short list at another school. And they reached out to me and they requested my letters of rec, sent them off. After the long short list is the short list of five people. And then sometimes they'll do phone interviews with those five people. And then from those, they'll do campus visits. So sometimes they will do like five campus visits, which is rare. Um, they most likely sometimes do two or three, mm -hmm. just because it costs a lot of money to fly people out to, because um, they usually pay for your accommodations, for your flight. So after the short list, it's the campus visits. And then after the campus visits, they make an offer. Mm -hmm. Once they make an offer, you um, start negotiations and then you accept. So um, I only made it to the campus visit for this school, but I had had interviews with other schools. So um, they have like job fairs and stuff. So all those face-to-face -face times are possible screenings. Mm -hmm. So they just take any opportunity to kind of screen you out and see if they want to continue to, if you're going to continue in the process. Um, most of the schools never contacted me that I didn't make it. They just, it was like they ghost you. You just don't hear about it. You just see on the board that someone got the job. Um, three schools told me I didn't get it. Like, oh, that's nice. They're like, but only once they concluded. So on the board I had seen, oh, they have campus visits out. And then I got an email that said, we have concluded our search. Thank you. Um, so that that was you know now looking back it's like man that's it's kind of you appreciate them letting you know mm -hmm. um because it is kind of and, and like why not send a mass email to people that's like you know we're on campus interviews mm -hmm. but i guess they you know it's always the fear that they're gonna offer make an offer to people and you know everyone's interviewing around the same time so the fear is you make an offer to people but they take a a job somewhere else mm -hmm. so um, so you don't want to let other people, your other, I guess, runner-ups know too yeah, yeah, far in advance that you might have to give it to them yeah, at the end. Yeah. yeah. So um, on the campus visit, it was um, two days. It consisted of a dinner with some of the faculty. Then, so I had three How meals. It wasn't bad. It, um, the, the dinner was, uh, it was kind of like a fancy dinner. Then I had a breakfast, which was kind of, it wasn't like super fancy. And then I had a lunch, which wasn't super fancy. The fanciest one was the dinner. Mm -hmm. I just like, I, you don't talk about your work or your school stuff. Mm -hmm. It was, um, 
like see how well you fit yeah i think the most awkward thing was the breakfast because it was that was one-on-one with someone Mm -hmm. whereas the lunch and the dinner were with a couple of faculty Mm -hmm. so they you know i wasn't always having conversations with them like sometimes they would be having conversations amongst each other and i you know i i use a lot of humor to fill up space and it's like uh kind of my defense mechanism is when I'm nervous is to make jokes Mm -hmm. so I I, you know I make jokes and I could um I feel like and this is the joke like my partner's an engineer and his joke is he's not the typical engineer most engineers are really um what he calls socially awkward and I think like a lot of academics are socially awkward because if you're only trained around other academics sometimes it's like you there's a switch where you just turn on and you're always like everything has to be super serious or you only know how to talk about your work mm-hmm. or you don't really know how to interact with other people but i think doing qualitative work like doing interviews mm-hmm. allows me to kind of know how to interact with people where i'm asking about them too i'm not just talking about myself mm-hmm. but also just like you know trying to you know remember i had to force myself and remember you know this is about your personality Mm -hmm. so um you you know one of the faculty members was from mexico so we talked about mexico and another faculty member is a new mom so we talked about that so it's like trying to find as a sociologist i would find things that people had and be like Mm -hmm. okay well that's something that i could talk about um so i ended up having a I met 11 people so just like talking to 11 people and then I did a job talk which is a one-hour research presentation they didn't ask that I do a teaching demo because it's a research one school which means it's mostly it's a research driven school it's not a teaching school so there are teaching schools where the expectation is you're mostly going to be teaching courses and then there's research one schools where the expectation is you're going to be publishing so I think, you know, I think it went well, but you just never know. Um, so after my interview was done, you know, I left at like 5 p.m. And Jeez. then I, two weeks later is when they notified me that. Yeah, that was pretty fast. I got the job. Yeah, but it seemed so slow. Like at yeah. that time, the two weeks passed by so slow because I was just, they probably just gave it to the other person mm-hmm. and I'm just here waiting and this whole time they're already negotiating. Like you just go Wait, through. even at that stage they don't notify you? Like That's if a- you've made it to the short list, they don't notify you? No. Well, they, they let you know that you made it to the short list, but I mean like in terms of campus, vi- after the campus visits, mm-hmm. they, didn't, they don't let you know like, oh, the visits have concluded. Now mm-hmm. we are, you just, you're like, are they done interviewing? How yeah. many people do they interview? Like they don't let you know any of that. Yeah. So um, I got the offer, um, and then just today I got like the details of the offer, and now we're in the negotiation parts. So I'm waiting until I've accepted to kind of like talk more about, um, I, and that will be like another update about negotiations because that is just, like it's so crazy yeah. to it's, it's skills that no one prepares you for, and I think. For me, the biggest thing that I learned in this process is just like the coping skills that you need to um, deal with rejection and to deal with, and I think it, it, it applies to anyone applying for jobs because it's not that you are not qualified at, at for our cohort, 
for people, you know, we're the most educated cohorts, um, age cohorts this country has seen. And more and more people are getting, um, it's just more competitive. And especially when you're PhDs, mm -hmm. it's like more people are getting PhDs, more people are finding ways to stand out. Mm -hmm. So it's hard not to compare and to say, well, why am I not good enough? What could I have done more? Mm -hmm. Like, I did all this work because I was even I was surprised that I didn't get as much positive feedback as I guess like people had told me that I would get and I think like people were surprised too to be like oh wow it really is that competitive mm. um, so I was really glad that you know it turned out to where I did get a job my first time on the market mm -hmm. because that's it's more common to go twice three times on the job market to keep trying to see um, just because it's that competitive so I definitely wasn't aware of how competitive it was and it's also the biggest transition is from going to student where I feel like I'm old because I'm 30 and I'm a student I'm around 21 year olds 22 year olds and even in the department like 24 25 26 year olds and then I'm a mom so I just feel like I'm so old <laughs> even though I know I'm 30 is not that old but to be a student in 30 it does feel old and now I'm going to a transition where I'm so young. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, to be 30 and a professor is yeah. crazy. And I look at my colleagues and I'm so much younger than them. Yeah. So How old is that department? Um, like the, like what's the, the average age? I think most of the people, so most people are 40s. I would mm. say and then their most recent hire is probably late 30s mm, okay. so she was hired like maybe three to four years ago and she she has a she has young kids too um, but they're older older than yeah. um, so we're both younger but I'm, I'm the youngest yeah so and that's gonna be interesting to navigate that where now it's like oh I'm like a baby yeah I'm like you know the baby now and uh, even in talking with um, the chair today she's like call me by my first name because I kept calling her doctor or whatever yeah. and she's like okay you can call you call me by my first name now because yeah. because I'm like oh we're colleagues yeah so that's like also just getting used to the you have this imposter syndrome of I must I don't fit into academia and now it switches to oh like I don't you know am I even like do they can I do this like oh my gosh what if I can't yeah, teach can. I know but it's like now it's so that's just never I realize like that's just never gonna go away like yeah. it's gonna follow us our all our lives and everything that we do mm -hmm. so it's it's been really great like I feel really relieved and happy but I also know it could have turned out really you know it, I could have been super depressed mm -hmm. um, because it that's just how that's just how easy it could have been I could have not gotten a job I'm there's so many qualified people wanting jobs it just really goes to do they like you mm -hmm. you just don't know what they want because everyone's qualified so yeah. it you just this don't know what they're looking they're looking for um, so yes yeah, so I'm super happy and I'm you know excited to share more about uh, like the backstage of what it looks like to be an academic professor and um, oh, yeah excited to hear that yeah and you know just to share like now I'm gonna be I was I, I was watching the BET Awards really uh, yes I, because my I partner wasn't. my partner's out of town so now I can watch whatever I want yeah and I'm watching today they were it was, must have been a rerun or something I watched oh, it on okay. Sunday yeah I don't know if it was live 
But they were presenting Tyler Perry with this award. Oh my God, Tyler Perry is my like life goals. Oh my gosh, yes. And so he <sighs> was saying, he was giving his speech yeah. and he said, um, when you make it, you don't know that your dream is tied to so many people's dreams. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. Like I got teary eyed because yeah. I was like, so many people are tied to my dream because yeah. now I'm going to be the, like there are people in my community where I'm probably the first professor in my community. Mm. Like the first person they know who's a professor. Mm -hmm. And now they can say, I know a professor. Yeah. And now there's so many letters of rec I can write. Yeah. There's so much help I can give. Just from me achieving my dream, I'm helping so many people mm -hmm. in my network. And you just like don't see that. Yeah. So when he said that, I was like, you know, that's so true. Like yeah. um, our dreams aren't just about us or about our communities. Mm -hmm. And so that was just really nice to think. There's a sense of accomplishment not only for me, but for my community, especially yeah. since Latina professors are like we're unicorns. Like there aren't that many of us. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that I'm like, there's another yeah. barrier that I, I stepped into. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. Have you talked to Luke yet? No, I, I need to tell people in the department. I've told, I text, I emailed our, um, what is she, like office manager? Yeah. And oh. she was like, oh my gosh, I'm crying. Like you could tell oh. in the email that she was just texting because some of her words were like, <laughs> you could tell she was texting. You know, it's you, the yeah. people who root for you aren't always like going to be, it's not just your advisors it's not it's like people see you and they want to root for you yeah. and then so it's just like it's really nice to yeah. have people just be we're so proud of you and you're yeah. like man i didn't know so many people were like yeah. looking to me but it's great yeah so i'm really happy i'm you know i'm just really happy to to have accomplished this for myself for my family to get a job now the next like six months it's like you know reaching but stop the goal. calling it a job because this is not a job like this is a career that's true it's just you know career, like this yeah. is like and I mean it's it's I don't know it's so hard to commute because academia is such a bubble like it's so hard to communicate to people outside the bubble like the gravity of it yeah um yeah. but like it's a huge deal it's a huge deal and I wish I knew in other fields what it compared to I think it's like making partner yeah like at a law firm well, I, so I think that that's like when because I think that that is like our equivalent of tenure, oh, tenure. that's true that's but true. this is like I mean what else making is it to the NFL yeah, I think that like that be, yeah. being being drafted yeah I mean the actually yeah the yeah I mean the stats are very similar yeah, I think yeah. so. It's like, yeah, it's like I got yeah. drafted. Yeah, so she got dra <laughs> drafted into a career. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so that is our – we wanted to ha spend our first episode kind of catching y'all up on what we've been doing over the last couple months just because we feel like this is, you know, this is our wokish community. And yeah. We, even though, you know, we, we're so – we've got – we had gotten so in the swing of talking to y'all every week – that you know having this gap for two months like I don't know what it felt like to y'all but to us it was like oh my god like this thing that we have committed to doing weekly is now something that we have had to delay for a couple months you know or yeah. put on pause for a couple months so yeah we this was our uh 30 minute synopsis of yeah. what we've been doing over the last couple months um and we are happy to be getting back to y'all so yeah yeah thanks like always if you want to reach out to us yeah. in terms of just you know 
anything Ebony talked about, creating events, about writing, becoming a writer, um, you know, reach out to us. Oh, or, I don't know if I could give you advice on becoming a writer. This is still in process. <laughs> or about her, you know, look for her blog, yeah, just yeah, about yeah. like mm -hmm. her process. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I'll talk more about my experience, but what it's like for women of color to be navigating the academic system. You know, email us at woke.ishpodcast at gmail.com. Also check out our Instagram. We have not been, you know, there's not been a lot of activity during our break, but we're gonna start gearing back um, onto mm -hmm. it, you know, um, to just kind of like keep uploading the small clips, but also things throughout the week that are happening that we feel like uh, we want to just, you know, chat about. But thank you so much for listening and until next week. Bye.